Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. Do you ever feel frustrated? Well, your dog does. Frustration occurs when an animal is interrupted in reaching their goals. Unfortunately, this occurs all too often in the modern world when a dog's goals do not align with those of their human companion. This can be a source of distress for both you and your dog, but it can also lead to the development of problem behaviors and can damage the relationship that you have with your dog. But we have answers for you. Join us for a two-day in-person seminar October 5th and 6th with instruction by Daniel Shaw. Daniel Shaw is an animal behaviorist with a background in animal behavior, psychology, and neuroscience. He will be talking about what frustration is and how it can be identified, the difficulty of conventional approaches in resolving frustration, what influences the value of rewards, as well as supporting frustrated dogs and building frustration tolerance. You can buy early bird tickets now until August the 5th, and be sure that you join us for our pre-seminar social Friday evening where you can meet Daniel and the Dog Speak team. We look forward to seeing you October 5th and 6th in Nashville, Tennessee for the Neuroscience of Resolving Frustration in Dogs seminar. Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. So happy that you're joining me today. I'm super excited. Today's guest, uh, Daniel Shaw, who's out of the UK, and he's a dog and a cat behaviorist. I, I probably need you to come over and, and handle my cats for me. Uh, but Daniel, thank you for joining me today. No problem. Happy to be here. So you, you have a, you've got a lot of great education. Tell our listeners um, all that you do uh, with animals. Yeah, so I um, work as an animal behaviourist in the UK, specifically in the southeast area, primarily in the UK, working with dogs and cats. Um, so like many of your listeners, I imagine, taking kind of a wide variety of behaviour problems, things like aggression often comes up in dogs and actually cats as well. Um, also things like, you know, your sort of typical separation anxiety and things like that as well. Um, but one of the things I really specialise in is looking at um, trauma in dogs. So particularly looking at the neurobiology of trauma. And one of my other big interests is frustration in dogs. And um, interestingly enough, um, those two topics are going to link to what we might be having a bit of a chat about today. So I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping it will link up quite nicely. Um, but I've also um, kind of as well as my animal behaviour work, um, I'm currently doing my master's in neuroscience. So I've got quite a big interest in neuroscience and really looking at the neurobiology of a lot of um, yeah, a lot of the behaviours that we see um, day to day in dogs, but behaviours in when a dog is experiencing good welfare and good conditions and then the behaviours that we might see um, and the neurobiological changes we might see if a dog's experiencing poorer welfare. Yeah, I tell you, and you had reached out to me because you had listened to uh, the first few episodes of our trauma episode and, and I have just fallen in love with the, the trauma aspect. Of, and I think that's kind of after 26 years, I'm like, you know, I think I want to specialize in something a little different. And the trauma is just fascinating. And, and just the, the, the neuro of it to me is so fascinating when we can really get in there and really kind of figure out what, what's firing, right? What's not firing and, and how, 
is that affected by the welfare of the dog, the environment of the dog. But one of the things that we kind of had a conversation about very shortly when, when we were on one of our little Q and A's with our legs was this early spay and neuter and how that affects dogs dealing with trauma or even the ability to handle trauma. And I, I had asked you, how do, how do fear periods change based on dogs that are spayed and neutered very early on? Because here in the United States, our rescues are altered very, very early. And um, I feel like I don't have the science behind it on myself, but I feel like that that really does affect dogs tremendously being that they don't have those hormones to help with the development of the brain. Can you kind of help us understand a little bit more of that? And we'll see where this conversation goes. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's a super big topic and I think it's a super important topic because it's something, it's a, a decision pretty much every dog a caregiver owner has to contend with whether they're going to get their dog spayed, going to get their dog neutered. And there's so much information, there's so much incoming information that we receive about that as to whether, you know, if you neuter your dog, this is going to happen to them, or if you don't neuter them, then this is going to happen. So it's really hard to kind of um, sort of navigate through all of that, right? Just to actually to kind of know, <laughs> know where to go with it. I think it causes a con confusion for a lot of owners, and I think it causes confusion for a lot of trainers and vets and professionals kind of throughout the world. So it's a really it's a really tough topic. And I think one of the elements of that confusion is there is a lack of um, data on the exact effects of neutering. So we don't know everything that we really, really do need to know to understand all the various effects of neutering. But I think probably um, it's good to start off with just going into a little bit what some of those hormones and some of those systems and um, body parts really are that are being removed when a dog undergoes um, a, gonad a gonadectomy, as it's called often in the research, um, but that's essentially a spay or a neuter. So um, because there are some quite big major changes there um, that, that will happen, what that will happen for either a female or a male dog when they undergo those changes. So um, yeah, I suppose to start off with, um, dogs have two well we're gonna when we think about dogs we've got they've got kind of two primary sexes that we would think about so male and female dogs and we'd kind of define them into that and and there's there is of course big differences right between your males and your female dogs and typically when if we start maybe with female dogs typically when we think of female dogs we're often thinking about them um, having more of those hormones that are involved in those heat cycles like estrogen and progesterone um, and prolactin. So um, when a dog's being neutered um, or when a female dog's being spayed, we are essentially removing the ovaries and the ovaries are one of the big producers of those hormones for female dogs. So once you're removing those ovaries for the female dogs, the female dog, they're not going to be able to produce the same level of progesterone, the same level of estrogen. They kind of go to um, minimal levels in the bloodstream, so you can't detect them anymore, essentially. So there's some big changes there So um, that will occur for that dog. Um, 
I don't know, what, is it useful to maybe talk a little bit about what those hormones are doing? Um, would that be a good place to start, do you think? Yeah, I think so. And it, it's funny because to have this conversation now, because um, I have recently had my own spay, as all my listeners have heard. Um, and I can just already feel a difference of how I was feeling before with hormones and now with a lack of uh, you know hormones and, and having to take estrogen just to kind of help balance things out. And some of the symptoms that I am dealing with, with I'm one minute, I'm burning up, feel like I'm going to spontaneously combust. Next minute, I'm freezing. And it's just, and I think, you know, how hard it is to deal with it as a human, knowing what's happening, what we're kind of putting our dogs through with that. But yeah, I think it's important that we help people understand what what these things do and why it's important um, that our dogs have it. So I'm going to let you run away with that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously, as a human as well, we've got the advantage that we can explain that you obviously know what's going on in your own medical situation. A dog that's, you know, um, 16 weeks old, um, that's going into the vets has, has no clue what's going on it's going to be really tough to explain actually this is for your own benefit or this is this mm -hmm. is going to be a good thing for you um it's really hard to explain that and and we don't know what the psychological symptoms are really of that for a dog but we do know quite a lot around what those hormones do so we can infer some of them so if we start with estrogen estrogen's really cool it's probably as sad as it sounds one of my favorite hormones so um <laughs> estrogen is um present in both males and females quite interestingly so actually testosterone in males is actually converted to estrogen so it's been it's something that benefits males and female dogs so if you neuter a male dog, they'll also lose out on some estrogen. Um, but um, so estrogen, it, it, it does it does quite a few things. It does have high, there are higher levels of estrogen in females. And um, it plays a real key role in the development of the reproductive system, um, regulating the reproductive cycle. So when a dog goes into heat, estrogen is one of the things that starts off by um, rising kind of in that um, pre-receptive stage. So if anyone sees a dog, a dog in heat, they go through that stage for a couple of weeks where they're kind of a little bit interested, but they won't actually want to um, engage with the male dog. They'll be like, no, go away. Um, yep. <laughs> but they're like, oh, no, come back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you get too close, I'll bite you. Um, right. So they go through that little stage. And that's kind of where they get that estrogen rise. Um, so it is involved in that reproductive cycle. Um, it's also involved in the development of some of those secondary sex characteristics. And in dogs, um, secondary sex characteristics are kind of really that kind of when they hit puberty and start hitting sexual maturity. So they kind of start, they start, uh, um, we start seeing those kind of more mature behavioral changes as they become sexually receptive to other dogs or interested in mating with another dog. Um, so, so yeah, they have that, it has that role in sexual development. Um, but it also plays quite a big role in mood um, and anxiety. So oestrogen is really um, interestingly, in my view, um, also linked to um, potentially inhibiting serotonin reuptake. So um, for those of you that haven't heard of it, serotonin is this neurotransmitter in the brain that's really plays a key role in helping you kind of appreciate some of the things in life. Um, and um, regulates your mood, regulate um, some of those emotional systems within the brain. So things like um, what we what we call the limbic system, the system that kind of responds um, 
emotionally to some of those to some of those stimuli that a dog might see that they don't feel too good about so whatever it might be that's stressing out your individual dog estrogen actually plays a role in um in um increasing serotonin transmission so essentially the knock-on effect of that is estrogen is potentially going to be helping dogs with regulating their mood and anxiety. So that's one really big function of estrogen um, that we can see. So that's um, a lot like when we're talking, you know, because me again, I'm in the human form of my own self ears. When that, when we have that low estrogen, you know, count, it's the moodiness that comes with, you know, with that. And I think, you know, a lot of times we see dogs that kind of have those, those moodiness of one day they're like happy-go-lucky and like, Hey, I want to say hi to you. And I'm interested in interacting with you. And then the next it's like, come near me and I will eat your face off. Um, y'all that's a real thing, men, just so you know, that that is a real thing that women are, that we deal with. And, and it's fascinating to see that we've, and especially in my day and age, we never looked at it that way, right? We never looked at dogs to say, does estrogen kind of, affect them the same way it affects us and, and is it important that they keep that so i love that the fact that that we're looking at it now to say hey this is a real issue if, if they're not having this that it's affecting so many other things instead of just thinking about they can't have a baby right or they can't breed it's it's so much deeper than that and, and i think that's what people really need to start understanding so that we're not you know taking away what they need for that development. Um, so yeah, I, I love that, that this is something that's starting to really come out and, and give us some uh, really good research on it. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting one, like you say, because we don't often talk about dogs having a bad mood or having a bad day or just kind of just not feeling it in a particular day. It's not something that we that we seem very good at accepting that a dog's not having a good day. We might say they're being you know, well, some people will be saying, Oh, the dog's being naughty. Some yep. people will say, Oh, we just we're just setting up our conditions wrong and we need to adjust that and we kind of just need to work on our training method. So there's lots of different yeah. ways people approach it. But I think sometimes you can just cut yourself a little bit of slack not saying oh I'm a crap trainer (laughs) because my dog's not responding to me and also cut your dog a bit of slack um because yeah they could be in a bad mood it could be related to that estrogen function which is even in an intact dog going up and down um periodically um more so in female dogs than male dogs because male dogs are kind of shooting out testosterone the whole time and um and that's that's being converted into estrogen um, at, a, at a fairly steady rate. Um, but in female dogs, there is more fluctuations. Um, actually, another interesting fact about estrogen <laughs> about that always sort of makes me laugh a little bit. Um, you know the, the theory that um, fat people tend to be a bit more jolly? Yes. <laughs> that sort I of do. stereotype. Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you know one of the things that converts estrogen and um, testosterone, sorry, into estrogen is fat tissue. So if you've got more fat tissue, um, you get more estrogen conversion, which might improve your emotional regulation. Um, I don't think it's ever been looked into, but it's quite an interesting. <laughs> I'm going to go eat a cheeseburger because <laughs> I lost eight pounds after my space. <laughs> I want, I'm going to get my fat back so I can get my testosterone up. 
I mean, my testosterone, <laughs> get my estrogen up. <laughs> that is fascinating. Yeah. That is crazy. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about this sort of that, that whole estrogen thing. And then that's, that's just one system, right? That's, that's one system within our body that, I mean, that's one hormonal system that we, we, we've just talked about kind of tinkering with a little bit. Um, and there's so many more we can, we can talk about there as well, actually, before, I suppose, before we move on to it from estrogen as well, the final thing I would say about that is we are seeing now in, in the research that, um, it's not just having the presence or having the lack of presence of those gonadal hormones, those estrogen, estrogen, progesterone, androgens, whatever, um, that make the difference. But it's also that percentage lifetime exposure. So what that means is how long that dog in, in of, of that dog's lifetime, they've had exposure to those gonadal hormones. So, for example, if we take a dog that was neutered at two years, that's now four years old, as, as opposed to a dog that's neutered at one year, that's now four years old, we would say that one year dog has had 25% of their life exposed, uh, lifetime exposure to um, to those gonadal hormones, whereas the two years dog has had 50%. Um, <laughs> had to make the maths nice and easy there for yeah. myself. Um, <laughs> I'm with you, I but, get it. Um, it's the percentage lifetime that also makes a really big difference and um, has also been shown to make a big difference in terms of the um, anxiety related disorders and aggression related disorders in dogs and also in female dogs in excitement related behaviours. So greater percentage lifetime exposure is associated with um, better um, better um, or, or, or better prognosis, I suppose, in terms of the dog being less likely to display anxiety related disorders or fear related disorders um, or in female dogs, excitement related disorders. Um, and then again, one of the reasons might be because of that estrogen linked to serotonin, because if estrogen is leading to more serotonin signaling, then that's going to strengthen those serotonin pathways. So the more activation you get of those serotonin pathways, the stronger they get. They're kind of like, um, it's like that kind of idea of, um, a path in 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 the country right if you walk down that path the first time it's not kind of it doesn't lay very well but if you go down it again and again and again yep. then that eventually becomes a really strong path so if we set those dogs up with a really strong serotonin um, system before we um do things that might put that system under a bit of pressure such as spaying or neutering then it would be my view that you're going to be um, providing some some kind of inoculation for that dog against the against the spaying process because that dog's already going to have a really good serotonin system in place. So their mood regulation is going to be a little bit better rather than if we'd taken a really young dog and neutered them or spayed them that's not going to have those systems in place. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, um, when I got my first dog as an adult, you know, I was 18, I was ready to totally be responsible. Um, I didn't have the funds to spay her immediately. And, um, I ended up working at a vet clinic and, and so I think she was at least two or three when I finally spayed her and her personality throughout her year, she'd lived to be 17, 18 years old when I watch her, how she just dealt with adversity, um, she was just what I consider, she was a badass. I mean, she could just handle whatever. And of course, after all that, I had all my dogs were spayed by six months 
And then recently with this guy that I just got, he was neutered very early, like, you know, before three months of age. And when I think back, I mean, my Rotties that were, they were spayed at six months, but I still look at them and go, okay, there were a few issues, even though they were working dogs and they were great dogs. I could still see there were some issues. They just didn't handle things quite the way my first dog did. And now looking back, was that the big change? Because I totally trained my first dog very differently than I trained them. I was using more aversives when I first started training. And then I went to more positive, but she was just handling things so much better. Like nothing bothered her. And, you know, she just dealt with it and went on with life. And now I'm kind of thinking, wow, why didn't I ever connect that? Um, instead of just looking, is that a personality trait? Um, but now looking at it, yeah, I, it obviously made a huge difference um, just in their ability to handle life across the board. Yeah, and I think that's such a good example of kind of the 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 cross section of all those different things that can influence a dog's behavior long term. So neutering is going to be a factor, right, in that dog's behavior chance. Well, there's a there's a fair chance, right. So if you have neutered your dog a little bit later, then that's going to, you know, not it's not guaranteed, but it's going to increase her odds of being that emotionally resilient dog that you that you had when you're 18, right, yep. um, and then you had you had your do you say your rotties yes i had my rottweilers missed them yes <laughs> love them to the six months and you know the nutrient may have been a factor but then they were also in a situation where they're obviously with yourself and it sounds like your training was fantastic which is brilliant so it sounds like you know they landed in a really good home so then that's going to be a factor so if you mm -hmm. have got the neuter slightly earlier age you're probably going to offset some of the um effects on resilience there as well so it is it's always kind of that mix of facts and then i think did you say you've got a young puppy at the moment as well that was muted really yep. really young yeah so he is about uh 20 months now and um he was neutered before three months and i know i, I kind of know his story if he was um rescued with before he was a week old with him and his brother they had no idea who his mother was it was a hoarding situation it was so there was a lot of trauma um they had to have a surrogate so he's got a lot of trauma and i'm, I'm i've kind of based it off of just you know no secure attachments in the beginning and and just a lot of issues and he shows really weird things like if there's charcoal on the grill that smoke he can't handle that i can't take him to like barbecues because he can't handle the smoke but then I started thinking, well, what effect did he have being neutered so young? Um, how does that affect the ability to handle those things? Yes, it might have been a trauma, but what is his ability to overcome that and learn how to deal with that because he didn't have the ability to kind of get that brain development where it needed to be? Um, and, and my other rescue, who came from the same rescue and a beautiful rescue, love the rescue, but she was also spayed at three months and she's a border collie mix. So she's already crazy and insane. So, but I wonder if, you know, how has it affected her in dealing with things, even though she doesn't have a ton of trauma, she has her own little things because well, border collies, I, I think they're crazy anyway. So <laughs> I think they're all going to have their issues, but you know, I, it really does. I, I sit back and go, wow, you know, am I, am I hitting a brick wall with my working with him? Can I only get him so far because he was neutered so early? Yeah, I mean, that's a really tough question. I think 
it, it's it's you know you're never going to know the the exact kind of the ifs and what would have happened had he not been right. neutered or had he not had those experiences. Um, sadly, we can you know never kind of know what that outcome would be. But um, I would think kind of the best way to think about it, I think, is you know he's obviously a dog that's had some really tough experiences right early on. You know, regardless of the new thing, he's had some really tough stuff to overcome. Um, and then I think with the neutering, what what we're kind of doing is we're taking away one of the tools in terms of those gonadal hormones that he may have had to help him deal with that. And we're also risking adding a potential extra little trauma in there, depending on how stress-free or stress-not-free that neutering procedure was. Um, so I think, you know, it's it's like a risk factor, right, in the sense that it's uh, it's kind of shifting the odds a little bit so it means it might be a little bit harder for you when you are working with him to overcome some of those things um so but yeah i mean we won't necessarily know the obviously the exact effects of that but it it, it definitely yeah it could be a risk factor and i think you know in an ideal world it would be nice for a dog that has had a very tough upbringing if we could avoid a neutering them and i know a lot of vets do that now like um um my um, partner is a vet and she um when she was um she's very recently qualified as a vet so that's amazing um, <laughs> um when she was um in um in in practice in, in vet school they kind of go around different practices it's called ems so they go into different vet practices and most vet practices are very hesitant about neutering dogs now in the uk anyway i don't know if this differs in the us but most vet practices that she went to were very hesitant about neutering dogs if they did believe that that dog had any sort of fear or anxiety related disorder so I think there is certainly that in in the UK we're seeing a little bit of a cultural shift there which is a really good thing I mean maybe you can tell me a little bit whether you're seeing that same shift in the US or things are a bit different we are seeing a little shift but it's for the different reasons we're seeing a shift of waiting to at least a year if not 18 months for males uh, letting the females go through some you know a couple of heat cycles but they're doing it I think more for just overall health and um and bone structure and bone growth not so much of anxiety and fear and um and and i'm you know i'm thinking gosh we're taking these dogs at three months six months nine months you know prior a year before the brain is completely developed and we are putting them through that stress and trauma so even if they did not have stress or trauma to start with just going in for a surgery um anesthesia alone is is so much stress and trauma but you know i, I just don't think our our vets here, they're not as connected to behavior. Um, I think that's something that's definitely changing and we're really working hard on that. Um, but it has changed that not every vet is recommending spaying or neutering as soon as possible, um, except for our rescues. Our rescues are adamant about this neutering and spaying before they go to homes. And I'm like, man, if, you know, with dogs and rescue, more than likely, no matter the age, they've already experienced some stress and trauma in their life. And, and here we are taking away something that could help them deal with that um, and hoping that they stay in a forever home, that they don't go back to a rescue because of all of that. So, um, yeah, I think that we are changing, just not for the same reasons. Um, I would love to see it changed more for behavioral and um, emotional health um, than just physiological health. 
Yeah, and it's it's really interesting that you you mentioned that um, with the rescues because that is kind of that ultimate question for the rescues that rescues face, and it's certainly not an easy question. I'm not trying to say that you know rescues should just stop neutering dogs because because there is definitely a high risk of dog owners not being prepared to have an intact dog and then accidentally producing a load more dogs and potentially producing a load more dogs with a dog that really doesn't want to be adding too much more to the gene pool because it's gonna it's gonna uh, you know breed dogs that maybe have that high stress response themselves which is gonna not be great for their welfare um but um the the couple of those recent papers that came out in literally the last five six years i think they were um i think it was mcgreevy and starling um were the two principal authors on these two papers and i think the mcgreevy one looked at male dogs the starling one looked at female dogs and they both found that this that lifetime exposure that percentage exposure um made a difference in relation to those fear-related behavioral problems one of the things they touch on is this kind of tricky sort of paradox almost i suppose for for rescues in the sense that neutering dogs is going to reduce the population um, of unwanted dogs by potentially by you know preventing dogs from being bred that will then potentially be unwanted um but it could also be contributing to the population of unwanted dogs because if we are neutering dogs really young then that might increase the number of dogs with behavioral problems and of course every rescue knows right behavioral problems are one of the biggest reasons i don't know if that's the same in the us but in the uk Behavioural problems are one of the biggest reasons for relinquishment of dogs. So it's such a tricky issue to contend with. And I think that's where kind of having that nuanced approach is always really, really important in the sense of the rescue, the veterinarian, the whoever's dealing with that dog or making those decisions, involved in those decisions around neutering, really needs to look at that individual case and, and look at the the competence of the caregivers for those dogs you know how educated they are in being able to manage an intact dog um the environment that dog's in right uh, kind of busy city dogs that kind of go and hang out in one busy park it's gonna be trickier than a dog living kind of far out in the country um yeah. to, to kind of manage them so there's all sorts of factors that that need to be considered and I, um yeah i think that's that's kind of where I would sit on 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 that. But then, of course, that's that's a time issue in itself, right? Because a lot of rescues don't have a lot of time. A lot of um, vets, trainers, behaviorists don't have the time to kind of do all that really in depth research into the the kind of the um, socioeconomic surroundings of the individual dog, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are there. You're right. There's just so much that goes into it. But you know, when we when with our dogs here, yes, the majority of our dogs that are relinquished come from um, behavioral issues. We also get a lot of dogs that are just free roaming, free run. Um, we have a lot of country area that, um, that dogs are just kind of, they just run and they kind of just do their own thing. But I do see when a lot of owners relinquish, they're relinquishing these dogs right at that stage of adolescence where that sexual maturity is coming in. And if they've not spayed or neutered, yeah, you're going to get things on top of that. I mean, if we can all remember back in the day when we first started out as as young teens and started feeling these things of what am I supposed to do with this? But at the same time, you hate your parents, you you hate going to school, you 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 know, you don't like the way you look, you got a pimple on your face, you all these emotions, you know, we don't know how to deal with ourselves like that. So I, I know how difficult it is for people to deal with the adolescent phase alone 
with spay and neuter, but with a dog who's also adding in that kind of those sexual, new sexual kind of feelings and emotions and just becoming that adult. I, I wonder though, if, if having a dog in adolescence that is still intact, and I, and I don't know if there's been a study, but maybe there needs to be one of, does the adolescent phase become easier when they have those, all those hormones to help offset the adolescence? Or are we taking away something that is creating adolescence to be more of a pain in the ass, you know, than it needs to be? Mm, that's, I mean, that's a really tricky question, right? Um, <laughs> of <course laughs> I think, <it> is. <laughs> um, I think it, you know, the, the, the caveat that I would always give <laughs> for questions like this, which sounds like a total cop out, is it will depend on the individual case. Um, <laughs> always but, a good one. <laughs> um, um, the, I think something people don't necessarily appreciate, and I think this is actually one of the factors that may have an influence on this, is this kind of expectation effect. Because I don't think necessarily every dog owner appreciates the fact that puberty is different from adolescence. Because puberty is when your sexual hormones start to kick in and when you start to get those secondary sex characteristics. Um, so, you know, the, the, the behavioral changes in the females, the kind of the mammary glands um, starting to, to, to enlarge and the, um, the, um, the interest in the other, the other, <laughs> other sex and the other sex pheromones and all those things. Um, but then adolescence is, an, is a different stage. It's, that's kind of more focused on the brain changes that, that, that occur. So changes in the emotional system, changes in the frontal region of the brain, which is involved in things like inhibition, executive control, being able to stop yourself doing just generally <laughs> stupid things that, that <laughs> adolescent dogs do, right? Um, um, so those changes occur. So I think one of the challenges, people think they've neutered their dog before adolescence. I've sorted this. I don't have to deal with adolescence now unfortunately they do have to deal with adolescence still it's still going to happen yeah. um their dog's just not going to experience puberty in the same way um but even even when you have removed those hormones those hormones are still uh, well to an extent some of those hormones are still around so for example if we remove the testes in males we decrease a lot of testosterone production but we don't decrease it entirely um, because there's also testosterone or androgens produced in the adrenal gland which kind of sits on top of the kidney um, so that can spit out andro androgens and testosterone into the system so there's still testosterone effects it does go down a lot but, um, you know, there's, it's still present. It's not removed entirely. So that might play a role in why you see some of those um, behaviours in in, in um, male male dogs still, as well as the fact that it's kind of such, can be often such alert and reinforcing behaviour, doing some of those um, sort of sex-related behaviours in dogs, um, humping-related behaviours. Um and then in females, well, they still have androgens firing around. They still have testosterone firing around. They get that from their adrenal gland as well. And that's where you're going to have individual genetic variation. You're going to get females or males that fire out more um, more testosterone from their um, from their adrenal gland. You're going to get ones that fire out less. There'll still be variations and fluctuations in testosterone level, but there will on the whole be a lot less testosterone, a lot less sex hormones, um, as a result of neutering. Um, but yeah, so as I say, the, 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 so as I say, um, in terms of your question, <laughs> as to got very distracted there, but in terms no, of I the always want to throw the thought provoking questions out that I know there's probably not a solid answer to. 
Um, I think, yeah, not having those hormones present during adolescence, I think it does present a little bit of a problem or, or a little bit of a conflict mm-hmm. would be kind of one of the things that, that jumps out at me. Um, simply because during adolescence, you because you get that um, change in your fear response, you get that that kind of increased fear learning, you get um, increased extinction, you get more risk-taking behaviours. If you're having, if you've got testosterone or you've got your, um, you've got your gonadal hormones firing around, that's at least going to give you a little bit of more of a buffer when the adolescent dog does get themselves in those <laughs> problematic situations. <laughs> it's going to give them a little bit more of a coping buffer potentially. So I would say on the whole, my opinion is it's probably a good thing, but there isn't enough data really to, to kind of say for sure um, at the moment. Well, I think it would be a very interesting study. Uh, let's, <laughs> but I can imagine that the challenges, it is very challenging to to get a lot of data on this type. And I think this is why it's been such a slow process talking about early spaying, neutering, letting dogs stay intact. Um, you know, if I know that we do spay and neuter to decrease the population, but honestly, I'd, I'd rather see dogs with amazing personalities be bred so that we have less dogs that are unwanted because they're solid and they have a really good, um, you know, they've had good development and they know they have resilience and they can handle this life that we've thrown them into um, instead of taking every good dog and, and doing that. And, and that spay and neuter, I do think is a, is pretty controversial. Um, I don't, you know, over here, I know it's pretty controversial, um, but there are some veterinarians that are refusing to neuter and spay before a year. Uh, But again, it's more of a health issue and not necessarily behavioral. Um, So I think the more we can talk about how this affects behavior down the line and even affecting possible fear periods as we're going through in in those developmental phases, I I think that if we can get some good education on that, then we can start changing um, the thought process of the early or late altering of our animals. Um, do you have, a, so I know you probably had a list of things that you wanted to talk about of the brain, but I think that it's important that we talk a little bit more about how the brain is affected um, and what those hormones look like. Cause we've talked about the estrogen and um, you know, I personally have, am dealing with, you know, my estrogen now, uh, but with the testosterone, is the testosterone, you know, obviously it's, it's not necessarily going to be a high enough um, level to create of what I'm just thinking of, of a pet owner listening to this is the testosterone level high enough to kind of create some of those. And, and I'm going to put in quotes, aggressive male behaviors towards other males. Right. And a lot of people kind of have this fear because they hear, Oh, you know, an intact male is going to beat up every other intact male. And, and when you really watch, you know, we were just watching uh, Muster Dogs on Netflix and we're actually going to do a, um, a podcast episode on it because I thought it, it was very fascinating that the majority of the dogs working together in communal feeding, they were not. Uh, I knew they were not neutered because you could see. I don't know if the females were spayed or not. There was there was no fighting. There was no issue. It was a, a really beautiful thing to watch. Um, you know, so I think that we need to stop the myth that intact dogs can become aggressive. Yeah, I think that's a, such a, a tricky one, right? Because um, I think, yeah, we, we, we've got such a sort of, there's such a pervasive 
idea in our society that testosterone causes aggression. And <laughs> that's kind of just, you know, we, we talk about it, we joke about it. We're like, oh, yeah, he's got a load of testosterone. Yep. Um, and, you know, he probably does um, <laughs> a lot of the time. But there's, there's quite, there's a little bit of a nuance to it that's quite important to understand, I think. And that is that it's, it's testosterone plays a role in wanting or, or kind of motivating animals to achieve social status so that's kind of where if you're thinking of your boss saying oh he has a lot of testosterone yeah maybe he does maybe that's why he's a boss Uh, (laughs) maybe that's why he wants to be a boss and boss everyone around and annoy everyone Um, (laughs) so so there could be a link there and you can still make those kind of stereotypes (laughs) if you want but um if if we think of it kind of more in animals where where particularly in our pet dog population, and compare that to maybe more of a wild dog population. In wild dog populations, quite often aggression, and and actually what I would call ritualized aggression, so signs of aggression without necessarily engaging in aggression, are often very good for achieving social status, whether it's over a resource, you know, a location, a bit of food, a a mate, um, whatever it might be that kind of ritualized aggression, that kind of aggressive posturing can be really good to achieve that. And sometimes aggression itself, but that's kind of rarer. Um, But it can be really good to achieve a resource. So what I'm trying to say there is the link really is if you've got higher testosterone, then that social status, that achieving that social status over that particular thing, over that particular group, whatever, um, might be more valuable um, to that dog with high testosterone. But it doesn't mean that aggression is necessarily the strategy that they are going to use to achieve that social status. Often it's ritualized aggression. And often if we think about it in our pet dog population, really we haven't got those competitions that are going to facilitate the need for, in, very often, you know, there are exceptions, of course, and particularly maybe thinking of inter-dog households, we might might be thinking about that. Um, but even in those situations, I wouldn't start by saying we need to neuter the dog. I would start by looking at what we can do to better manage resources and better manage the environment. So, um, but in any case, generally, we're not seeing so many situations where there is the need for uh, the dog to earn kind of that kind of social um, status, social dominance, as it might be called, over a, over a reward. Uh, resource in the same way because most of their resources are provided pretty plentifully like you know food um and even the ones that aren't provided plentifully sometimes like walks and stuff and and enrichment that maybe aren't being or or, you know appropriate species appropriate walks i would say are often not provided very well but you know it's not really a social contest sort of situation. It's more of a, what can I do to persuade my owner or what can we do maybe as trainers persuade the (laughs) owner caregiver to provide a little bit of a better species typical walk. Um, But um, yeah, it's, it just, to me, my kind of take on it is it's, there's not really the need for a dog to achieve social status, social dominance over something in a human household. So, I don't particularly see why testosterone would play a big role in that. Um, and and the other thing is, even in situations where it does, 
the testosterone response, unless you've got two very kind of um, bull-headed dogs, I suppose, um, the testosterone response actually helps sort out that social order of things. So it actually... And um, what will happen is the dog that aggresses and kind of wins that competition will get a testosterone rise. And the dog that loses that competition will get a testosterone drop. So what that does, if you work it out mathematically, and if someone's better at maths than me, um, you can go through and sort of allocate, oh, yeah, that dog got that. And then it kind of facilitates this whole little hierarchy or allocation of resources of who gets what. And, yep, who's in charge around the bone? Who's in charge around the sleeping space? It kind of helps that allocation. And that actually prevents aggression. So I think that's really interesting. One um, potential exception to this, and this isn't linked so much to the, to, to the testosterone thing necessarily. Um, in fact, two exceptions to this that I can think of that are kind of a little bit linked to this. Um, the first is there was a study that came out, I think, in sort of, again, the late sort of 2016 to 2019 time, late 2010s, I guess. Um, I can't remember the date exactly. And it found that male dogs that were intact tended to be more interested in the genitalia <laughs> of, of, of neutered male dogs. And it's not really clear why this is, but one theory is that the male dogs that are intact get a little bit confused and <laughs> they think sense. this might be a female. Um, <laughs> that makes sense because it's, yeah. it's going to be all on that, on that odor. And yeah. that is fascinating. Exactly, because it's artificial. Though we don't, we it's not a natural thing, right? Neutering it doesn't happen in the in the in the right. in the uh, evolutionary environment. So they're like, "What the hell is this?" And they go up to pet, have a little sniff. Is this a female? Can I? Can I? Can I? You know, do I need to get like a jacket on, start flirting, um, or right. do I go? And then, so there's a little bit of a miscommunication there. And I kind of my theory is 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 that one of the sources of this contention that we often see around male dogs um particularly when we're thinking about neutered males interacting with unneutered males this kind of miscommunication that maybe the new the intact males are going up to them annoying the um in, uh, neutered males and then that's just kind of leading to things kind of spiraling and going downhill someone getting a bit um, irritated, something going wrong. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you see in terms of interactions between <laughs> neutered males uh, and uh, intact males? What's your observation on that? You know, I, I think it is, it's funny because whenever I do talk about like mounting behavior um, in dogs and I, and I, what we see mostly is male dogs will typically mount other male dogs, whether they're intact or um, neutered. And then we have females who will also typically, even spayed, they will go straight to a male dog instead of, you know, they're not going over to the females and trying to hump. Typically, it's it's going over to a male dog, whether it is an intact or an altered dog. And we don't see as many dogs that are intact interacting with um neuter dogs because it is such a faux pas it's like if your dog goes to daycare or dog parks great don't bring them after six months right so when i do see it within the household um i usually don't it, the the fact that the dog is intact and is with an older dog who is neutered the problems that i typically see have nothing to do with the intact male it's it is definitely usually environmental um humans really messing things up 
right? Because what they're seeing and they don't understand. Um, and so a, a lot of times it, it really has nothing to do much with the intact male. Um, now, obviously other things do affect um, with just following instruction um, because, you know, boys get dumb when they get hair on their testicles, you know, is <laughs> but so do women, so do the females, you know, it's, it's all these new emotions. So we just don't see it as often um, because we are so much in this country, spay, neuter, spay, neuter, spay, neuter, that we're not even getting the opportunity to truly even see as much um, because typically if somebody has an intact male, they just don't go around other males. They might go around females, but they won't take them around other males for that fear of the aggressive behavior coming out. That's really interesting. So yes, it, it, it kind of it, it is going to limit um, <laughs> what you observe. And actually, interestingly, I would say the bigger concern for me with intact males is managing intact male female uh, managing intact male behavior when they are around females mm -hmm. because and i'm not talking about females in heat because obviously yeah. <laughs> we need to be managing that that's a whole separate thing but um something that's quite interesting i think this this, this is this kind of really unique little circuit that kind of plays out in in behavior um that i just think is really cool but also potentially the source of some problems so to start off with in in males if we have testosterone rising if we have well if we have environmental stimuli i.e a female dog that they think uh, is quite exciting maybe and we get a testosterone rise um then that can activate sexual behavior right um but interestingly enough if uh, a a male gets that testosterone rise that activates a region in their hypothalamus, which is this region of the brain, um, which is involved in a lot of those um, sort of homeostatic behaviors, a lot of those kind of um, wanting related behaviors, whether it's wanting food, wanting, you know, satiating your food needs, eating sex, all those sorts of things. And um, so it sets off that little circuit and can activate your sexual behaviors, right? Activate your, your mounting, your humping, those sorts of things in a male dog. Um, in female dogs, um, we, and if, 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 sorry, if there's another male, now if another male dog is present, so if that circuit gets activated alongside the male detecting the presence of another male's pheromones, then that kind of switches this little sort of switch in the hypothalamus, the hypothalamus, which kind of switches that sexual behavior to aggression. So essentially the presence of another male around uh, a female plus testosterone in that male can activate aggression pretty quickly. So that's one of the things I think that, that that's where when, when talking about unused dogs, we do need to to have that environmental knowledge to be aware that if we've got maybe a male around or two males particularly around a female that is kind of a bit of a recipe for for problems potentially not in every case it depends how the male's responding it depends if the male's getting overexcited or if he's managing to control himself if he's an adolescent then you know that's another factor that we're probably wanting to consider um in as part of that kind of whole picture um so um yeah, it, it depends on that kind of whole situation. But I think that's where having an, I think, it, it, you know, having a new to an, an intact dog can be absolutely fine. But I think being aware 
of what the risks are, whether those are genuine risks, whether those are kind of um, sort of misnomer risks um, is really important because I think a lot of people, you know, if I was um, a dog, a new dog owner, new dog carer in this environment, I wouldn't know where to start with kind of managing an intact dog. Um, I would be terrified <laughs> of what to do, what sort of trouble I was going to get in. So I understand why people are so feel so um, kind of um, tempted or, 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 you know, that, that choice to neuter becomes so appealing because you worry about what sort of trouble that you might get in with society. You worry about that kind of feeling of guilt, shame, et cetera, that the, that the human might feel um, as a result of that. And I think that's because we don't get that clear management advice, um, really. It's not really out there. No, I mean, it's not. I mean, it's it's all just about spaying and neutering. And, and I was getting tickled because when you were explaining the two males and, and a female being around and that kind of testosterone and aggression going up, you literally just explained every bar scene in downtown Nashville <laughs> every night of the week. I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it really is. It's yeah, that's a normal thing here, but you know, I think if we can just start educating and, and saying, okay, what is, what is the most important thing that we need to focus on with our dogs? And, and for me, what I try to, to educate my clients and my listeners and, and just the general public and, and veterinarians is welfare for the dog. Um, the ability to function um, emotionally, uh, mentally in this world that is so chaotic on a daily basis what can we do to help with that welfare? Is it so for me is, is neutering or spaying, is that helping with the welfare or is that decreasing the welfare of a, an adult dog who's going to have to spend 10, 12, 15 years in this world? Are we taking away that ability to give them the best welfare possible in, in those next 10 to 12, 15 years? Or do we need to just say, look, we just need to suck this up, give our dogs a couple of years to fully develop before even making that decision of spaying and neutering? Um, you know, wh what are those, the negatives, what are those cons to keeping them intact? Yeah, you do. You got to have some management. You got to have some responsibility. We know what responsibility and pet owners are like. I mean, it's sometimes not great, right? Especially when we have a ton of rescue organizations here. I mean, it is... It's ridiculous because we have so many dogs that need homes in the South um, and not so much in the North of America, but in the South, we're just inundated. And I just think that we really need to think about, we got to do a better job at educating the owners, which in order to educate the owners, the veterinarians are going to have to be educated, the breeders or the rescue groups or the, you know, whoever is dealing with that need to have that education and that clear sign that says, look, it's better to have these dogs stay intact until they're fully developed. And then now we can talk about what is the best next step for that. Um, and I just think it's going to be really hard to educate that without clear um, data to, to say here, you know, especially when you have like veterinarians who want to see it on paper, right? They want to see that and say, give me proof. Uh, because all I've ever heard was let's spay and neuter, spay and neuter, spay and neuter. It's all about unwanted pets. Well, guess what? It's really not fixing 
unwanted pets. I, I mean, it's just not. If that was the case, we wouldn't have as many rescues as we have today. So for me, I'd much rather focus on that um, emotional and, and mental capability uh, to adjust to this ever-changing world that is just getting more and more chaotic. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I completely, <laughs> it's a lot to think about. Right? Here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, 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 it's so much, it's so much to think about. And um, it's, I think we are, the good thing is there is, there is starting to be, there we, are, we are starting to see more data on it that's coming out with particularly those two studies I mentioned in, in terms of McGreevy, the Starling, but the, that needs replication. It needs, you know, you kind of need more and more data. So you've really got that kind of solid data thing, that sort of solid data set, sorry, that, um, that, that, that kind of says, yeah, I think, I think, or, or just gives us a clear idea kind of on what that that link between nutrient and behavior is because it's you know it's still it's still not in, entirely clear is it we know that it is implicated now in the um well early, well yeah exposure to um sex hormones are implicated as a protective factor for behavior problems um but it's you know it's it still isn't as clear as as it needs to be in terms of really understanding the nuances of that link and that's a challenge for us um you know as professionals right as well to be able to to give people that really good advice about neutering about kind of making those really important decisions that's going to affect you know obviously the dog for the next however many years of their life when I'm making those sorts of recommendations or discussing that with people, um, you know, you want to be able to give them the best advice you can. And, 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 and I think, you know, and we are sadly in a situation where the kind of our knowledge on the topic is a little bit limited still to a certain extent. But I think in terms of, in terms of really kind of what we've got at the moment for behavioral outcomes, that, exposure even if it's not lifetime exposure to those sex hormones even if we can sort of leverage it so that that dog gets them for a little bit you know whatever dog we're talking about whether it's the dog that's been bred to be the most resilient dog in the world and in a great environment if we can give them a little bit longer with those hormones it's probably going to be a good thing for that dog um and then the other thing that we've got to think about as well particularly in female dogs um this isn't something I've done a lot of research into myself, but I went to a webinar with um, fantastic lady Sarah Davis in the uh, Davies in the UK um, is a veterinary behaviorist that talks a lot about um, persistent pseudo pregnancy in female dogs, and essentially um, she suspects, and it, it, it sort of puts a very convincing case forward. I would say that there are a lot of female dogs, a lot of neutered or spayed, sorry, female dogs that suffer um un, unknown to and um, the behavior professionals the veterinarians the whoever's working with that dog unknown to them are suffering from persistent pseudo pregnancy she thinks it's kind of this something that is massively under recognized reason being because dogs um dogs when they're in heat they go through these stages right of going um into um estrus and then once they've been through that estrus well they go through pre-estrus then estrus then um following that kind of this metestrus stage um 
she look, looking at the data right that metaestrus stage can be a lot longer than people think right and during that metaestrus stage what happens is another hormone kind of comes in called prolactin that starts firing and that causes the dog so during metaestrus before they go back into anestrus which is when they are um when they are kind of not in or kind of out of the heat cycle so to speak and um, when they're in metaestrus we get this prolactin rise that causes it's basically the body preparing to have a baby right because it hasn't registered that there's not been an impregnation at that point so the body starts preparing to have a baby so every time a dog goes into metaestrus they have a pseudo pregnancy every dog has one every heat cycle right it's just the severity of that pseudo pregnancy mm -hmm. will depend on the individual dog and the typical behaviors you see with that are things like nesting behavior right an increase in resource guarding things that we might typically associate with pseudo pregnancy but it can also lead to some real different things in terms of just an simply an increase in aggression and simply an increase in aggressive behavior as a result of a pseudo pregnancy and that is it that's all we see from the dog right and um, we don't see any of the typical symptoms and combined with that if a dog is spayed during metaestrus and remember as i said that metaestrus can be a lot longer than people think so there's kind of recommendations so i think that the general guidelines is to spay at least 12 weeks after the estrus stage so that's in theory how long the metaestrus should be but the, the the data sarah presented indicated that that metaestrus stage could be a lot longer for wow. some dogs so basically there could be dogs that are being spayed in metaestrus and that could be causing them to develop persistent pseudo pregnancy and that could of course mean that this this dog because because they if you if a dog gets spayed in metaestrus sorry they that can cause them to develop pseudo persistent pseudo pregnancy which means we could that could be a big factor in some of the behavior problems that we are seeing in neutered female dogs as well um does that make, have i covered everything there or well, does that any that that is uh, you know and i'm thinking i was just thinking i had a client whose dog went through it and then had a bunch of behavior problems afterwards and um so that is fascinating um and i'd love that 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 more and more information is coming out uh you know it's it's it took us forever to get to the gut brain axis now <laughs> let's get to <laughs> let's get to this part and then the next thing is you know i need these guys to be thinking about adding estrogen to dogs right after you spay you know do adding estrogen back is that going to help with some behavior issues i mean it's if the systems are all the same we do we look at you know ways to help dogs in in, in different forms of medication and and i think that there's just so much there's just so much there that i, I need people to i need people to study on <laughs> give me the yeah. answer i don't i don't have time to do the study <laughs> part i just need the answer and that's such an interesting question i mean i don't know um i don't know if there's any data on on using um sort of hormone replacement therapy for dogs um i've i've I feel like I might have heard of something about it, but I can't remember now. So if I do, I'll have to, I'll email you afterwards yes, if I come across something and you can put it in the show notes. But um, <laughs> I can't, I can't off the top of my head think of anything. But um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. And um, I think, yeah, being able to kind of help a dog rebalance their hormones and the hormonal changes that they might have seen as a result of, um, 
as a result of neutering is really, really important. And, um, you know, there are kind of those flexible way around it. I mean, one one way we have got now is, is that um, is the, the implant that can be used yeah. for dogs, right? The, 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 the implant that essentially creates the effect of decreasing testosterone production in male dogs. So then we get the kind of... Uh, to observe what the dog responds, how the dog responds to neutering without having to kind of go down that full route of neutering the dog, which is quite interesting for giving you some insight into that. Um, I don't know if there's um, what the situation is in terms of an equivalent for female dogs. I think generally the issue with equivalent for female dogs is they're often a lot less safe for the dog. Um, But um, as I say, I don't, I, it's not an area I, I know a lot about, so I'm not going to, I don't want to comment on it too much. But um, it would, I, certainly what I would say is it'd be interesting to, to know more about it. I'd be interesting to see more research come out on it. Um, with the persistent pseudo pregnancy, that is something that can be treated, which is really good. You can rebalance that prolactin because essentially what happens is kind of prolactin um, kind of stays in pseudo pregnancy levels after the space so it kind of the 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 prolactin kind of just stays at that kind of level that it increases to during the metestrus period um or stays at that higher level so then the dog kind of acts like it's in a pseudo pregnancy or the metestrus period the whole time that can be quite easily treated um with um um, drug therapy which is really really handy to know right and so that there is there is um solutions to that so it might indicate that there's solutions to other things that haven't really been identified yet um and it might even be that it's not even a hormone replacement therapy it might be that it's some other sort of medication that targets some other system that has some knock-on effect that interacts with something but again you don't know at this point right (laughs) so much there's so much and it's so fascinating and and there are five thousand rabbit holes that we could go down with each and every one but i think this has been so eye-opening and even just for me this is not a conversation that i have often um, with peers. And, and I thought this was a, just a really good one to touch on. And, um, and obviously we could go for much longer period of time um, with this, but I, I just think that, that we need to, we really need to start thinking more about when and if, if and when do we spay and neuter our animals um, to help with that overall welfare um, and their overall ability just to handle life um, in general. And, and I, I really appreciate you coming on with your um, all your knowledge. You have so much knowledge, um, and I and you look so young to me. And you have so much knowledge. <laughs> um, so exciting that we're going to have you around for a long time. Um, do you have any final thoughts um, to what we have talked about? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think you know. I think I would just echo what you said there in the sense that it's, it is a case of being so just taking a, you know, an individual approach, right? Just thinking carefully, taking an individual approach and also not beating yourself up too much if you get it wrong, because we don't know all the ins and outs of what neutering does. So you can get it wrong very easily. You can think, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. That didn't work out. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's made it is a factor in in things but it doesn't it's not you know it's not the ultimate fate of that dog as a result of being neutered so it doesn't mean that you can't still help that dog it doesn't mean that you start can't still make the progress that you want to make with that dog but um yeah um that would be kind of 
my my final thoughts on it. I like that. Yeah, give your guys give yourself some grace. Um, I mean, if we're professionals still questioning it, obviously, yeah, as pet owners, um, you're depending on us. But we're we're trying to get there. We're trying to give you the best information that we can. Um, Daniel, I appreciate you so much being on here. Where can people find you? Um, yeah, so um, ABK Learn is um, Animal Behavior Kent's my business. Um, that's our kind of my consulting business. Our online platform is ABK Learn, which you can find on Google. Um, and that's where we kind of provide a lot of online education opportunities. There's some free stuff on there, which everyone likes, which is great. Um, <laughs> and then we've got um, some webinars and things like that as well. Um, we've just had a brand new trauma course um, come out an eight week um, trauma course, trauma informed pet professionals, which um, has yeah taken me a couple of years to write. So um, <laughs> um, wow. that's kind of my my yeah biggest project at the moment. We're in the final week of it, and it's about to literally about to be launched next week, which is the um, uh, basically the first of July that we're going to be launching it. So um, I don't know where that will sit in the time of when this is released, but. Um, <laughs> We're actually, I'm releasing this today. I am one of those oh. that I record and I release. So <laughs> it is one of those. Um, so that means that you guys are getting it here um, on the June June 20th. So July, we'll put it in the show notes so that you guys can go um, because we do have uh, pet professionals that do listen to us. So guys, you want to learn more about trauma, go and do this. Um, it, it's so fascinating. And um, I really appreciate you taking time out um, to talk with me and to our listeners. And I think I'm actually going to get to meet you in person in Asheville, North Carolina in yeah. December. Yes. Very exciting. Yeah. The legs in motion conference. So yeah, if you're in the U S yep. <laughs> um, that's my trip to the U S for this year, I think. Um, so um, might see some of you, some of your colleagues out there. That would be fantastic. I'm looking forward to meeting a bunch of you guys in person um, at that. Because I'm going to do that one and the Rainbow Resilience. So I'm going to do the back-to-back -back seminars um, in December, and it's going to be fantastic. So I would love to have you back on. Maybe we can talk some trauma um, here about fall. I know right now my listeners are probably like, oh, my God, please stop with the trauma. Okay. So um, <laughs> but I'm sure that we can come up with a 100 other things to talk about. I would love to have you back. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate it. And I know that everyone has, has enjoyed listening to your accent. So, um, <laughs> so well, we it's, nice to, that. it's nice to hear that because I'm um, like most people, I can't ever listen to anything that I record because I find it absolutely in, uh, insufferable to try and listen to myself. Um, so um, <laughs> I'm with you. I don't listen to myself either. Uh, that's probably why I don't do a ton of editing. I just I do yeah, that one take what... and go. <laughs> editing is a no-go for me. Um... <laughs> I don't want to hear myself. I appreciate it. don't want to hear myself. So, uh, well, Daniel, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, and dog speak geeks. I hope you guys really enjoy this. And now you're going to go, go ask your veterinarians to start doing more research on spay and neuter and for the rescue groups. Uh, let's, let's talk more. Let's talk more and figure out a way that we can do this to give our dogs the best, um, you know, best chance at uh, their best life. So Daniel, thank you again. I appreciate it. And dog speak geeks appreciate you guys. And I hope you guys have a great week.